0: Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Grounded in the Middle. I'm Danielle Folk, your host. I want to begin by wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. It is hard to believe it, but we are at the top of Christmas week, and I am sure that most of you have a list, like I do, of some kind that's made of all the things we need to accomplish before this coming Friday. So I hope that in today's podcast, you are able to kind of keep in the Christmas spirit by learning about why we engage in certain Christmas traditions each year, as well as learn about some of the most popular gifts for boys and girls in the 1900s. Thanks again for tuning in. A week ago, our youngest, Parker, was home from preschool with a cold, and I decided one day to bring out the popcorn and the cranberries to string and put on our small artificial tree on our front porch just to give it a little color. And after about a half a dozen knots and a few broken threads later, we found that it was best if Parker actually threaded the popcorn and berries and I kind of worked them down the thread. And it got me thinking, when did this tradition become popular or a thing? And I found that stringing popcorn for trees goes back to the first Christmas trees in Germany. And during those times, there weren't the fancy decorations that we have today. And so they would use dye to dye the popcorn. And they would throw it in with some nuts or fruits or other edible treats. But popcorn itself has been used for a winter decoration in America as early as 1842, when there was a Christmas tree in Williamsburg, Virginia, that was decorated with the popcorn and also paper ornaments, which are often added to popcorn garlands for color, became a part of the tradition around the early 1800s. And Because of these bright berries being cultivated in the Cape Cod area in Massachusetts, it became popular to add the cranberries in with the popcorn because of its long shelf life. If you haven't had a chance to string popcorn yourself, I encourage you to make a strand or two. And all you need is to grab a bag of inexpensive kernels And from what I have recently learned, some waxed dental floss to avoid breaks. And you can cozy up to your favorite Christmas movie, just string away. And don't forget, it's completely appropriate to string a piece and eat a piece in between. Mistletoe. How many of you have some hanging in your home? We have a decoration we hang up with artificial mistletoe on it, but I do remember from my younger years of seeing real mistletoe being hung in homes. Now, legend has it, couples and star-crossed lovers meet under the mistletoe, which originates from at least the 18th century, when two English servants likely founded the tradition. Originally, men would steal a kiss from any woman caught under the mistletoe, and it was believed that refusal was bad luck for the coming year. I bet the English servants never thought their founded tradition would become a part of hundreds of Hallmark Christmas movies. Do you have a favorite Christmas ornament? I'm not sure about you, but when I think of ornaments these days, the Hallmark Enterprise often comes to mind. To date, more than 8,500 unique Hallmark Keepsake Ornaments have been released since they began in 1973. And over the years, Hallmark Keepsake Ornaments have cultivated a loyal following of collectors. In fact, there's even an official Hallmark Keepsake Ornament Club with more than 500 chapters in the United States and also in Canada. Based on its appearance in the cult classic National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Can you guess which ornament is highly valuable? It is Cousin Eddie's RV, which was released in 2009. In addition to paying homage to Clark's favorite cousin, this ornament also makes sounds. In more than a decade since its release, this has become one of the most expensive Hallmark keepsake ornaments. But buyer beware, there have been multiple releases of Cousin Eddie's RV in recent years. The original was released in 2009, from that year sold for $550 on eBay last September. This makes it one of the most valuable Hallmark Keepsake ornaments ever sold. The next ornament that is even more expensive is the Scarlet O'Hara from 1939 from the film Gone with the Wind, which has been permanently discontinued. It is valued at $690 or more on eBay. Can you imagine spending that much on an ornament? My luck, the tree would fall over or it would get broken. And that would probably happen within like the first 24 hours. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the spelling of Christmas. How many of you have written on, say, a Christmas box, X-MUS? For the longest time, I believed anything with x on it wasn't respectful. However, I have been wrong. I learned that the simple abbreviation has actually been used to represent Christ, the word, for more than 1,000 years, and it comes from the Greek word for Christ. So now I will no longer feel bad if I write Xmas on a box in short or anyone who writes Xmas is doing something that's disrespectful. And have you ever wondered what request would have been made for Santa in the early 1900s? Let me tell you something. I think if we could go back in time, we probably would be spending a little bit less money this year. As I was researching gifts from yesteryear, Our own children gravitated towards me and my computer and they began pointing out all the things that, even still today, they would want for Christmas. And one of those items are Crayola crayons, which were gifted to children beginning in 1903. During this time, a box of eight crayons sold for a nickel. Talk about a deal then in 1908 the first production of the model t ford was produced in detroit michigan and if that wasn't a gift itself to those who could afford it and drive it not too long after miniature die cast model t fords were manufactured and at the top of the list for little ones for santa to bring with the excitement around the first car being made The simplicity of the rocking horse was still a desire for children. Did you know that one of the earliest rocking horses is said to have belonged to King Charles? The first one was around in 1610 when he was a child. Toy animals have been a part of ancient and primitive culture since recorded history, and horses have always been a very important part of many cultures. And they were frequently a symbol of wealth and social position. While versions of rocking horses may be different from today's, there is certainly a simple joy that comes from them and less of a chance of them also tipping over. while, and also less of a chance of them tipping over like they used to back in the 16 and 1700s while enjoying the ride. Lionel trains. Have you heard of them? You likely have, and they were popular in the 1910s. Just last week, our children headed into their school, and they were surprised by their resource officer who set up a large train display for all of the children to come and see. This sparked our twins' memory of their train, and they insisted it come up from our basement, in which it did. Now, this gift of the Lionel Polar Express train was given by my parents to our twins on their very first Christmas. And still, nine years later, they hover around the box anxiously as Aaron unpacks it, and they look for all the all the little people and the train cars and the tracks. And let me tell you, that train was running just shortly after 6 a.m. the very next day. What is it about a train that just brings out a kid in all of us? To buy goods. What ended up happening is customers began inquiring about buying the train. And Joshua then realized it was an opportunity to go into business. And it has been in business for 120 years. Now, how many of you have a Raggedy Ann? Or maybe you had a Raggedy Ann. Have you ever wondered how she came to be? She was created by a cartoonist after his daughter showed him her worn-out rag doll, and he took it upon himself to bring new life to the tattered toy and drew a face on it and naming it. What he didn't realize or see coming were that books and dolls would be sold just like that Raggedy Ann just in three years. In this same time period, teddy bears were sought after gifts for children. And it began when President Roosevelt refused to shoot a bear on a hunting trip. Shop owners in New York soon started taking velvet and stuffed them and turned them into bears to place in their storefront windows. And those who passed by saw them, just like Lionel trains, and wanted to buy them. And sure enough, with permission from the president, they were sold and they made a fortune from those bears. Jumping into the next decade, the 1920s, the radio flyer wagon became all the rage after an Italian immigrant by the name of Antonio Passan made one to carry his tools in when he went to work on making cabinets for the phonograph. Soon, he was being asked to make more wagons than cabinets, and they have continued to exist for 104 years. In this same decade, a gentleman by the name of Robert Petit was inspired by children playing with pins and spools of thread, so he designed a toy construction set made up of sticks and wooden spools for children to play with. And you probably have already guessed they are now infamously known today as Tinker Toys. Something else you may still find on children's list today is the yo-yo. The yo-yo dates as far back as 500 BCE. However, it was a Filipino immigrant, Pedro Flores, who was working as a bellhop, who brought the yo-yo to America in the 1920s. And he would play with the toy on his lunch breaks. And those staying at the hotel were intrigued, which led to Flores opening a small toy factory where he manufactured yo-yos. How neat is that? While I could share with you the history of early toys all day long, I know that we only have so much time To dedicate to reminiscing. So I'm going to very briefly share the next seven decades with you from the 1930s to the 1990s of what children were asking Santa for. And if one of them piques your interest, I encourage you to head to the web and do a little digging on the history because I'm sure you're going to learn something really interesting to share with others this season. All right. So 1930s, these are the sought out toys. Army men, which just so you know, are ranked 13th most popular toy of all time. Monopoly, which is one of America's most popular board games, which was conceived by Elizabeth Maggie in effort to shine light on economic imbalance. Viewmasters, oh, I remember going to my grandparents' house and they had a Viewmaster and we absolutely loved using it. The Viewmaster was actually introduced in 1939 at the World Fair in New York. Now, hopping into the 1940s, there was a Chicago company which sold cleaning supplies, and they began making bubble solutions. And today, wouldn't you know, more than 200 million bottles are sold a year. Next is the Magic 8 Ball. Now, I had this as a kid, so this brings back some memories, and I kind of still would like to have one today. The Magic 8-Ball gained its pool ball shape when it was used as a promotional item for the Brunswick Billards. Next up is Scrabble, which was originally called Crisscross Words by creator Alfred Butts and his friend. Wonder how the point system was established? Alfred calculated how frequently letters occurred on the front page of the New York Times, and that determined their values. Slinkies. This one is really cool. Slinkies hit the shelves at Gimbel's department store in 1945. A naval engineer by the name of Richard James had been developing springs to help keep ship material steady while at sea. And when he accidentally knocked some off of a shelf, he discovered that the coils could walk. Jumping in now to the 1950s, No surprise here, in the 1950s, Barbie became a must-have toy. Along with Mr. Potato Head, who was around well before he became famous in Pixar's Toy Story in 1995, Mr. Potato Head earned Hasbro more than $4 million in sales after only being on the shelves for a really short time. Play-Doh, a classic. I have never met a child who wasn't excited to play with Play-Doh. It was created by Joe McVicker, who had noticed children having difficulty using modeling clay. So he took malleable wallpaper cleaner that his uncle had created in 1903, and he sent it to school for children to play with, and then it was renamed Play-Doh. A decade later in the 1960s, Barbie met her competitor, the doll, Chatty Cathy who had a pull ring that had 11 phrases that she could say. But for those children who were aspired to be in the kitchen, the Easy Bake Oven was what they were really hoping for in 1963. During that time period, they sold for $15.95. Today, that's equivalent to $131.58. Since the Easy Bake Oven hit the shelves, children still today Are wishing for one. Cleverly created by an electrician and with 600,000 sold in 1960, the Etch-a-Sketch was and still continues to be a toy many children wish for today. Now in the midst of the Cold War, G.I. Joe was branded by Hasbro and modeled after an American soldier of World War II. And this became one must-have item during the 1960s. I don't know about you, but if you're a parent, you likely have a love-hate relationship with this next toy. And you honestly probably don't mind if the vacuum accidentally sucks one up. Legos, also known as the toy of the century, was invented in Denmark. And its name is Danish for Play Good. I'd really love to know how many of you have stepped on a Lego before, because I have great memories playing with them, but I also have now memories of um, the pain in which they can inflict <laughs> for being so small. All right, let's jump ahead to 1970s. I'm going to list these off for you. In 1970s, Pet Rocks were popular, the Rubik's Cube, Simon, Stretch Armstrong, ah, uh, and in the 1980s, This is me right here. I was born in 85. Cabbage Patch Kids were very popular. Care Bears, My Little Pony, Teddy Ruxpin, and Transformers, which I think is really interesting. A lot of these things have come back um, today. Now, in the 1990s, we had the Beanie Babies that were all the craze. Buzz Lightyear, no surprise. Oh, here we go, Furby. I believe they were really expensive. Tamagotchis, which we are seeing them come back this Christmas. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were popular. And also, I don't know about you, but after hearing some of those toys, it leaves me a bit nostalgic. Do any of them ring a bell to you or maybe on your Christmas list to Santa as a child? I hope that in the coming days, you're able to find some time to reminisce a little bit and maybe share it with someone else. And it's also my hope that you're able to relax and be with the ones that you love. And you're able to not only partake in some of your favorite Christmas traditions, but maybe also start a new one. Over the next two weeks, I will be taking some time off to be fully present with my family, And I will be back on January 10th for season two of Grounded in the Middle. Many thanks to all of you who have been listening in since August this year and for the support you have given me along the way. Wishing you a very wonderful and Merry Christmas, friends, and a very healthy and happy new year. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you will rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share with those you know. If you'd like to see more of what life is like in the middle, you can find me on Instagram at the Federal Farmhouse or head to my website, thefederalfarmhouse.com. And remember, while the middle is not always the most comfortable place to linger in, it can sometimes create the most memorable pivot in life. The pivot that had to happen for everything else to fall into place.